The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning, I'm Rachel Hurt. This morning's reading is from Mark 1 and 2. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went not out, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Rachel. So glad to have people uh, from home participating in worship with us, that you get to see them, we get to see them. It's so sweet that um, we're all still in this together, worshiping. Uh, Thank you for being a part of this with us, and uh, we love you, we miss you, and we hope to see you soon in a couple weeks. You know, in 2010, in the uh, Gulf of Mexico, uh, was an explosion. A BP oil rig had exploded, and uh, in the midst of drilling and and sinking to the ocean, uh, one of the, we know now, one of the worst oil spills in uh, global history. Deepwater Horizon, uh, which they've I made a movie about, I actually haven't seen, but uh, uh, 11 uh, members of that crew were killed in that. One of the things that was interesting over the course of uh, the year or months as it, they were working on it, you could see they would show us pictures in 2010 of this pipe coming up from the depths of the ocean floor, which you couldn't even really see. You'd see where it broke off and uh, oil just spewing into the water. It's just almost like a cloud within the, the deep, dark abyss of water. I remember so many people asking the question, I mean, they can go down there. I asked this question. You can go down there. You got a submarine. Uh, you can be in the, you can see it. You can see the issues. Um, hey, why can't they just kind of like put a cap on it? (laughs) And I I remember talking to my brother-in-law who uh, works in oil and gas in uh, in Texas and him talking about how so many people think there are simple solutions to that, you know, put a cap on it, uh, uh, crimp the pipe, do something to where it could stop the oil flow. He said, the problem isn't uh, the oil or the pipe or anything. The problem is the depth, (laughs) 
The problem is <clears throat> that it's not the issue of the pipe speed that's so far down into the abyss of the ocean. That's what makes it so difficult to actually navigate and, and change. You know, in Mark, uh, even just the beginning, and we're looking at the gospel of Mark, and right out of the gate, Mark is a short gospel, and in its first chapter, it's just chock full. First and second chapters, it's chock full of, of Jesus doing miracles, showing his authority and power through healings, feedings of people, through uh, bringing people from the dead, uh, uh, taking illness from people. Even in this passage, we see this, this miraculous event happening. One of the things that, that's spoken of over and over as Jesus does this in and, and Gospel of Mark is that it can be easily seen as Jesus is a miracle worker. He's just, you, you can miss the fact that, that Jesus is doing all these things and there's something more. In fact, that's kind of the thrust of this. It's, it's hard even in today's culture to think, is Jesus actually... You know, first off, is he healing or is he just somebody who just showed us really great things? But the point of Mark is to get beyond that. The point is, is that the problem isn't just on the surface. The problem really deals with depth. That's why there's this whole discussion about picking up the bed and walking and forgiving sins. It all surrounds the questioning of their hearts, just like it does ours. I think the scribes are a lot more like us than we think. Because Jesus perceives the questioning of their hearts. In fact, three times it talks about questioning hearts. Isn't that where our heart is? It's questioning. Is Jesus really authoritative enough, powerful enough to hit not just the, the miraculous need to do the answer the question, can miracles happen? But really, does he have an authority to go to the depth? Because that's where the real problem is first, is to deal with the depth and root of the issue in order that he can deal with everything else. You know, Mark was written <clears throat> uh, by uh, Mark who traveled with Peter and it was written around the 60, 60s AD to a group of Christians in Rome who were suffering. And what they're wondering is, is Jesus, who is this Jesus? He's, he's trying to answer this question. One question, who is this Jesus? You even see it in the here. Who is this person? They're amazed at who he is. Incredible things that he's doing. Who is this man, Jesus? And we're gonna look at that today in a couple ways. One is, we're gonna look at the healing that occurs here. And second, we're gonna look at the healer. Two simple things, the healing and the healer. And the depth of the problem that's at hand. You know, uh, the healing that happens here, it's an interesting event because uh, like other things, this actual account is littered through the gospels. Mark is considered the first gospel written and the other gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and and even John have uh, tenets of this account, particularly Matthew and Luke, about the paralytic being brought. And I read this often and I think, did this crowd or group really come with their friend to the crowd to, because they knew what Jesus would do or did they want something else? Uh, you know, <clears throat> oftentimes we uh, can begin to want something 
And then when, once we pursue what we want, we find out what we really need. It sounds a lot like what the, the, the Rolling Stones were a lot more correct than we think, right? Uh, you know, can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. I mean, that really is, we have a heart that longs to want. In fact, there's a, a, a French philosopher in the 18th century named Denis Diderot, who there's considered something called the Diderot effect now that we all fall, fall into. It, it comes from the effect that, that we, when we buy something that we really want, it doesn't ever end there. In fact, uh, you've probably experienced this maybe over Christmas or, or something like that, where you purchased something or you received some gift and once you received it, you felt like you needed to get more. It's like if you got uh, a, a, you know, a new iPhone or an Apple Watch or something like that, you thought, man, I need to get AirPods. Well, then I also need to get the, this connection. I need to get this con- hookup. I mean, you start to go down that line where you continue to want more even though you don't really need it. And it's considered the Diderot effect. It's, it's a, a, a purchasing or a, a desiring of something more. There's a children's book. My wife quotes this hilariously. Um, that's called, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Maybe some of you kids have read this book before. They've made it into a bunch of other kind of things as well. It's called, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. If you give a mouse a cookie, then he's gonna want some milk. And if you give him some milk, he's gonna want, and it it kind of goes down the line. And the whole point of the story is, if you give him a mouse a cookie, he'll continue to want something more. And that's how our hearts are. We, we continue to want. But here's what's interesting about what this passage is. The people are crowding. They're consistently following Jesus and packing in. And they want something. But they re- do they really know what they need? What really gets to the core? What the real problem is? See, Jesus has been preaching and you can almost get, pick this up that Mark has followed around Peter and Paul, Peter particularly, to write this gospel because you can pick up some more of the detail that I'm sure Peter was here and, and, and experiencing this and, and relaying this to Mark as he's writing this gospel to these Christians. That after Jesus had performed some miracles and been preaching, crowds came. Now, not maybe like, you know, thousands like what we think, particularly in a home, but inside this home, it was packed. So it could fit maybe 50, uh, maybe a little more, but it was a small home. So they'd pack inside the home and then would flood outside the door. So people were trying to hear him teaching, trying to get close to him. And this group of friends who had heard about Jesus, heard what he could do, naturally, like good friends, they said, gosh, we've, we've got to get our paralyzed friend to Jesus. So they did what they could do. And it wasn't as difficult as it may sound. They climbed up on the roof. And in those days, the roofs were made with mud and almost like tiles where you could remove certain elements of the roof that we could also replace it architecturally. It made sense. You know, you have a mud these kind of mud and stick squares that you would take out. One gets damaged, you put it back. So they climb on the roof, they remove a bunch of these. They lower their friend in front of Jesus and here ensues the conversation. What's Jesus gonna do with this? And don't you think, and I would, if I was the paralytic and I was sitting there and and Jesus, I'm laying there right in front of him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't the paralytic, and I wonder if he thought this, maybe he didn't, this is maybe my projection, but would he think, hmm, 
that's great and all, but I'm really hoping to walk out of here. I mean, don't you really think that he was, he was like, Jesus, are, are, you, are, you, are you missing the fact of my real needs here? Like I'm lying on a mat in front of you where his friends going, wow, this is, that's beautiful, Jesus. But we brought him here to be healed, to walk. Like what's the real need? What was the deepest need or issue of this, this point? What's Jesus trying to get at here? That there's something deeper. That the problem is further down. Now, I don't want to say, and this is what I think most people do when they hit a passage like this and they hear somebody say that, they can typically think, oh yeah, Christianity over-spiritualizes and moves past physical needs or realities in life. That is not what Jesus is doing at all. In fact, the whole point of the conversation isn't, oh, don't worry about him walking. That's a part of it. But Jesus brings in another part that speaks of a deeper issue and a deeper need. And here ensues the, the dramatic uh, you know, debate, which is easier, verse nine, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your mat and walk. And the scribes were questioning. They were really struggling with this. And here's the question for us. What is the thing that we want to go to Jesus with and we want to go to, to him and ask, would you take care of this? And we seemingly, maybe are, it's not wrong or bad to bring to him. But what's the thing that you want him to change in your life? What is the thing that you're hoping he would do? What's the thing that we're hoping that he would transform? Again, Jesus is not discouraging us bringing physical infirmities, sufferings. Man, we are surrounded with that. That's not what this is dismissing. But he also doesn't want us to miss that for his heart. So one one of the difficulties that happens and ensues in this debate throughout the length of the Gospels is that many follow Jesus, and even the Pharisees say this to him, Hey, perform some miracle. Show it, prove to us that you are who you say you are, that you're the Messiah. And if you prove to that to us, then we'll follow you. See, because what happens is sometimes the twisting of that, it's to say, if you do these things, then we'll believe you are who you say you are. But the problem is then our faith, is it, is it our faith on the healing or is our faith in Jesus? See, Jesus is getting past something here. He's not missing the physical infirmity. He's wanting the people to see the signs, the realities of where this is driving to. Jesus never says here, you need more faith for you to be healed or that spiritual healing is better than physical. He never does that. He's asking the question, what is deeper? Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, and this is one of my favorite quotes that he talks about. He talks about what we really want, but what we really need. And he talks about it in in terms of uh, going to the dentist, (laughs) which all of you dentists out there will appreciate this. And what C.S. Lewis says, he says, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mom, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I didn't go to my mom at least not until the pain became very bad. And the reason I didn't go to to her was this reason. I didn't doubt that she would give me the aspirin or what I knew that she would deaden the pain, but I knew she would do something else. Uh, 
I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. (laughs) I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they'd take a yard. Now, if I may put it this way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he'll take a yard. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of one particular sin they are ashamed of or one that's particularly spoiling daily life. Well, he'll cure it all right. He'll not stop there. That if you ask him, if you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. That is what Jesus is addressing here. What we really need. See, the scribes watching this knew the real issue was sin. And this is what's funny about this. They actually knew it. They actually knew it. They said this. They asked the question. And Jesus perceived it. He said, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can do that? See, going right to the heart of Mark's question. Who is this man? Who is this man? What what is this healing that he's bringing? See, one misunderstanding of this passage could be that we need more faith to be healed, right? It could be that one misunderstanding, but faith doesn't work that way. Mark never uses faith to say, you need more faith to be healed. Oftentimes we can take that in our lives and I've seen it greatly, greatly misunderstood and misused. Say, if you just prayed more, if you just believed more, then you wouldn't get X, Y, Z or you would be healed of X, Y, Z. And that is actually in some ways an abuse of our faith rather than an understanding of it because what faith is 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 a focus and an object. It's looking to. Faith is like a windshield looking towards. Like if you're driving down the road and and something hits your windshield or you have some sort of bug that strikes it or something and you focus on that rather than through it, you will crash if you look at that windshield. But if you look through it, you can see where you're going. Faith helps you look through to see the object. It's a focus on the object. So the other misunderstanding is simply that Jesus might be talking about spiritual healing and rather than skip physical. And I think this is a huge deal for us. Because when Jesus is addressing sin, he's not separating the physical and spiritual. He's not separating as what many have done through time, faith and science. He's actually saying The healing is comprehensive. He's saying it's a deeper issue. That sin is a part of us, both spiritually and physically, that there's a depth. It's not about can we just cap it. The problem is the depth. And the healing is where it goes. C.S. Lewis in another place actually said this, and I love how Lewis draws this out. He, He was... In one of his books through the Chronicles of Narnia series, he was in a, called Voyage of the Dawn Treader. A character named Eustace who finds himself, he's a, a boy that no one likes, and he finds himself falling asleep on a pile of treasure. And he awakes to find himself to become a dragon because he thinks he finds this treasure that he wants and he wakes up and he's become a dragon. <laughs> and the only way for him to be restored again, to be healed, to become a boy again, is to let Aslan handle him. And here's how he handles him. 
I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. Aslan is a lion. But I was pretty, near, pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff off, just as I thought it done, I'd done it myself the three other times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only even ever so thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. Then he caught hold of me and threw me in the water and it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw I turned into a boy again. I love his imagery of, of how deep it had to, it couldn't be used to himself trying to heal himself, trying to peel back away the layers of what is there. The depth had to be the Jesus character, Aslan, going to the depth, even through the pain to reach where the depth of the healing needed to be, to tear it off, to cause and bring the healing, and to transform what really is there because the problem really is the depth. But here's the heart of the whole thing isn't just the healing. The heart of the thing is who's the man? Who's the healer? See, like I said, three times it talks about this. It says, after he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, verse six, questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? See, three times. See, that's the truth. The heart of the matter is the heart of their questioning. And that would be ours as well. See, it, it, <clears throat> there's something more powerful here just than the healing. It's the healer. That's what sticks out. The questions in their hearts of the man that is there and that no one has ever seen anything like this, that they were so amazed. And it's simple to look at this and say, well, Jesus' miracles, did they really happen? I think for some of us, when we read this book, we can typically read this passage in the Bible, this book being the Bible, we can look at miracles as something that's from an ancient story. These people were a little more gullible than us. Maybe they didn't have science. Uh, they weren't as enlightened as we are. Maybe they didn't understand the laws of nature. But, but that's not true. Listen to even what they're saying. Who is this man? Notice verse 12. He rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. They understand the laws of nature. They understand that, that people don't just get up and walk. They understand that there's something bigger here. You see, miracles were in the Bible, not just for cognitive belief, but for awe and worship. See, it's easy to, to miss the, the healer for the healing. It's easy to miss what we really want, what we really wish God would do in our life for God himself. The whole point Mark's getting at here is that everything, all the work that they're doing to lower their friend, all the people in there listening to the teaching, they can grab the cognitive belief, they can listen to all the theories and thoughts and things and ways that Jesus astonished them with the authority of their teaching, but unless they really look to the one who is speaking, the one who is working, the one who is active, they'll miss it. 
See, here's the thing. <clears throat> all the people that Jesus uh, healed, all the people that he rose from the dead, they would die again. They actually would die again. Yet we don't see them walking around right now. What was the point of them? They were arrows. They were signposts to the one who is. And oftentimes people stopped at the signs. The people following. Look, there is a moment where Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one of them comes back. To think Jesus himself heals them all and only one comes back, nine leave. And so many of us, that's the truth of us. We want God to bring us out of the pandemic. We want him to heal us of certain infirmity. And we want that. And that is right and good. I've had a number of those things. I myself have had COVID. And we have had a number of people infected. I mean, many of you have had loved ones. who met, Possibly you may have lost loved ones because of it. And, and we are right and, and true to pray for those things. But what carries us through as well to the depth is to not just miss the healing because Jesus doesn't. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have come in flesh himself. But to be with the healer. See, miracles aren't the suspension of nature. They're the restoration of it. Jesus is showing the picture of it. It's signposts to that. It's like when I was, uh, you know, driving uh, to... Um, I see family on the way uh, to Texas some time ago. And as they were driving on the way and seeing certain signposts to, to Dallas, Texas, what if, I, what if I was just to pull over the car at the first sign that said Dallas? And I just started unpacking the car right there. People are driving by. They're saying, what in the world is that guy doing? Somebody pulls over, maybe a policeman. Says, what, are we, what, are, what are you unpacking the car for? Well, Dallas, the sign says Dallas, right? <laughs> I'm home. Here it is. That's what we can miss so easily, is we can miss the healer for the healings. But here's even what's more powerful from this. How does he heal us? See, the question becomes this, which is easier, <clears throat> to ask the paralytic to take up his mat and walk, or is it to say, your sins are forgiven? Now, it's easier in our minds to actually say it for Jesus just to say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because you don't see anything happening. To them, they're amazed when he says, hey, take up your mat and walk. The guy who could not walk physically for years, everybody in that room knows who he is. They weren't huge towns. Could pick up his mat and walk. They're amazed, it says, and glorify God. We never saw anything like this. But what is easier or what is harder? Because the scribes are right. Jesus would do both. He would do both. See, here's how we know it. He would say, just so you know, that the son of man, meaning him, that figure, messianic figure, would do, can do both. He, he calls the paralytic to pick up his mat and walk, and he does that. But how would Jesus answer the question of his sins are forgiven? He would go to the cross. He would literally put himself in the position of death on the cross, knowing that he is the substitute for us and bring us that forgiveness. See, let's really go back to the question. 
Which is easier? It actually is, because we notice they never really answer it. Which is easier? It's actually easier in some ways for Jesus to say, take up your mat and walk, because who can take on the sins of the world? Who can actually bear the sins of the world on his own back? It's only Jesus. Who can say your sins are forgiven and actually do the forgiveness? See, forgiveness means to lift off. Who can actually lift off? It's Jesus. It's only him. He answers both. And here's the way that he heals us. I want you to see three practical things briefly. That having faith in Jesus means God is at work in healing even now. First, yeah, if you're not a Christian, if you would consider yourself dabbling in Christianity, maybe you're, you're looking at it and observing it again, that you wouldn't miss Jesus for being a kind teacher or miracle worker. You would see what he's actually trying to promote as the one who is the forgiver of actual sins. He's the healer that can go to the depth of the problem, the real issue. And without ignoring any of the surface issues or effects, he's the one that goes to the actual depth and can change and transform. And if you are, if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that you would think about what does it really mean for you to grow in your faith? Of maybe the things you claim to follow Jesus and what are the other things though that distract or turn you away to say, I follow Jesus, but he really only helps me in these areas. Or he's useful here. See, Jesus is about the full treatment. He's not just about a part of you. He wants all of you. Because he cares about all of you. And all of you is to be transformed. The second thing is that we don't have to over-spiritualize the need for physical healing. Jesus doesn't do that here. And I want to say this because I think walking away from this passage, it would be easy to say, I'm just going to think about my sin. Well, yeah, but our physical infirmities are a product of sin. And Jesus doesn't overlook that. Notice he even says to this person, take up your mat and walk. He doesn't end with the spiritual forgiveness of sins. He he actually ends with them taking a mat and walk. Because Jesus cares about physical infirmities. Some of you are ill. Some of you have infirmities. This is what prayer is. We we want to go before God and pray for and pray and hope for the healing that he can bring. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But it's not an account of him, his inability. But it's a difficulty of the product of that sin, but knowing that we have a God we can trust just as the infirmities of that day would not win. Jesus goes to the root of where our infirmities are. He cares about us physically. Joni Erickson Tata, who is a, a wonderful theologian, said it this way. She had a tragic accident which left her as a paraplegic. And she, uh, after uh, being confined to a wheelchair, said this, She was so sick and tired of the despair and feelings of self-pity, she cried out when she first got put put into uh, that chair. God, if I cannot die, show me how to live. And she said, and I'm not kidding, the next morning I woke up a different person. 
that God didn't maybe remove her infirmity, but showed her how much he loved her with it even. And finally, that we can live in hope and expect in a full healing. That these miracles and these things are Jesus showing he is the king and that the full restoration of all things will come. That we can live knowing that what it means to be transformed by Christ is that now and all of the infirmities that we see and all the healing we long for is going to be restored fully in Christ. As we say, every time we go to the table and we long to go to that table some point soon to receive communion once again, that we proclaim the Lord's death on a cross that pronounces the sentence against all sin and physical infirmity because he physically took up the cross. We proclaim that until he comes again and makes all things new. Not makes new things, but makes all things new. Praise be to God that he's not just the one who heals, but is the healer that is with us. The one who knows us better than we know ourselves. Who addresses the realities of this world and what we need the most. Let me pray for us.